pulpit and uh, switch me over. Oh, I don't know if I ever turned on. I'm on. All right. Proverbs chapter number 29, and uh, as you're turning there, we're gonna, the, we've been looking at personal conduct, really, in the, in the Proverbs chapter 29, and we finished all of those verses, and tonight we're going to start a new uh, set of verses, really, and, and there's about 11 of them. Uh, the second largest topic in this, in this chapter is leadership, and they, they deal specifically with leadership, uh, and it's very interesting. Leadership is a topic that seems like over the past, I don't know, 10, uh, 5 or 10 years, it's just become a, a hot topic. Like, there's a lot of books been written on leadership, and uh, some of them are good, some of them not so good, some of them very humanistic. Some of them uh, are interesting, but not really uh, of great value. But what I want us to understand is God already wrote a book on leadership, and he's already given us a lot of information on leadership. And, uh, and we'd be good to take the leadership that God has given us in his word. By the way, man analyzes and looks uh, a lot at leadership, and, and they, they do a lot of this lick their finger and stick it in the wind, say, oh, the wind's blowing this way, so we need to start moving this way. And, and then, well, oh, the wind started blowing this way, so to be a, a good leader, then you've got you to gotta stay ahead of the wind. Uh, but, but that's not God's leadership at all. God sets a standard and says, hey, uphold my standard. And that is the standard of leadership that God sets forth. God's leadership ha- has, or God's leadership manual has a very strict adherence to righteousness, leading in the straight and narrow righteousness in God's word. And with that, it is off, it is, it, with that as well, goes compassion. Uh, and it's not just a hard nose uh, that so often accompanies strictness. Some people use righteousness to be iron-fisted, mean-spirited to others. That's not God's way of leadership. Uh, there's balance between strictness and there's balance between compassion. They really are two faces of the same coin. They really go hand in hand. And uh, there's a fine balance between righteousness and compassion. You cannot let righteousness slip because of compassion, and some people do that, on, on the side of compassion, they say, well, we'll just let this go and let this go and let this go until there's no righteousness at all, and compassion is, is upheld, and then other people are so rigid that there's no compassion at all, and so somewhere between those two, uh, righteousness must be upheld, but compassion must be maintained. They go hand in hand, and that's God's way of leadership. And, uh, and so important to understand uh, those, those two things. When looking at leadership, you may think, well, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a king or I'm not a president. Uh, do we have any kings, any presidents here tonight? I don't think so, uh, myself either. And, uh, and so you think, well, may, this really isn't applicable to me. But it, it really is applicable to you because you are a leader Uh, in some form or some fashion in life. Uh, The the people you lead may be few in number, but there's people that you probably lead. Uh, A couple of the areas that leadership is really pertinent. Uh, Leadership or or applicable, I guess, would be a better word. Leadership pertains to family. 
And so if you have family, you can be a leader of that, uh, in that family, and that's important. Friends, you can, be leader, you can be a leader amongst your friends, not in a mean-spirited way, not in a, uh, a lording over them kind of way, but a leader that stands up for what is right and does what is right and is known for that, and, uh, and, and people will look up to that. Uh, you can be a leader at work. Uh, maybe you're a manager, maybe you're a boss. Uh, and all of these principles would go well uh, in the workplace or work environment, in your neighborhood, uh, in your business, or in your community, or many other areas. So there's opportunity to lead. You don't have to be a king, you don't have to be a president, you don't have to be a mayor uh, to be a leader, uh, but you do need to apply these principles that we're going to look at, uh, or, or rather lessons that we can learn from the Word of God on leadership. So before we get into our text here, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll, we'll look at our text in Proverbs chapter 29. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for your Word that's so clear and so important to us. And God, thank you for the, 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 the many, many topics that you cover in your Word. God, you cover so many things, and it's so pertinent to our life. God, I pray that you'd help us as we look at our life as leaders. God, I pray that you would help us to be the leaders that we ought to be. Father, whether we're leading uh, two children at home, one child at home, or uh, maybe friends, or uh, maybe family, or, or other things, God, I pray that you would help us uh, to be leaders that we ought to be. And, Father, that we would be godly, uh, Christ-like leaders in, in whatever capacity, in whatever area, Father, that, that uh, we have the ability and the, the place to lead. And we'll thank you for that. And God will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All the verses that we're going to look at tonight really pertain to king or ruler. It's almost mentioned in almost every verse. But, uh, like I said, we can certainly apply those to the areas of our life. Proverbs 29 and verse number two, the Bible says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But, the, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And uh, what, a, what a great verse. And we've looked at a verse similar to this before. But uh, I want us to understand that uh, sin causes sorrow. There's no doubt about it. Matter of fact, there's so many uh, applications really we could look at and places that that would fit. Uh, but we need to understand this. In our own personal life, sin causes sorrow. If you haven't figured that out, uh, boy, it's very clear. Uh, sin will steal your joy. No matter what way or what fashion it is, sin would just has a way of depleting joy out of your life. But as for a leader and somebody who's in charge and somebody who's in authority, uh, when there is wickedness and when there's sin there, uh, boy, it spreads and it goes further and it has a way of making effect on all the people uh, that are below that person to also mourn and to have problems. One of the examples, there's two examples at least that I found in Scripture that are very clear. One was uh, in the book of Esther. 
And, uh, and you know Haman, uh, of course, he was the wicked uh, person in the book of Esther that was really out to get the Jews and wanted to write a decree. Matter of fact, he had just convinced the king to write a decree against the Jews, and that has been written, but it hasn't been uh, sent out yet. And in Esther 3.15, you can note that down, Esther 3.15, the Bible says, the posts went out being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan, the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. Uh, when they heard that news, and when they found that out, when that decree went out, uh, boy, they were perplexed. They were like, wait, what's going on? I mean, uh, the fact that they were able to go out and, and, and destroy the enemy, the Jews, to them, that was their enemy or uh, disliked. And so uh, they was, there was a lot of mourning. There was a lot of concern that took place in Shushan that day as they were trying to figure out, well, what is going on? What was going on was wicked people were in rule and in charge. And uh, listen, when wicked people are in rule, it causes hardship uh, for everyone that is underneath of them. Uh, we're going to look at a little bit later the righteousness and, uh, or rather judgment and, and how that is established. But just understand this, that when the, when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And it causes problems. You know, there, another good example that we could look at is uh, in the book of Matthew. You remember Jesus was born. And right in the beginning, and we're in December, we're thinking about Christmas. And so you, of course, know that Herod, uh, when he was king, and, uh, and the wise men came to Herod and said, Hey, where is Jesus? Uh, where is the king of the Jews that is born? And when Herod heard, Hey, the king of the Jews, boy, his, his ears went up. And he thought, man, this is not good. There's another king in the area. And Herod was upset about that. And the Bible says in Matthew 2, 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why is that? Because when the wicked beareth rule, the people will mourn. There's going to be problems when something upsets the, uh, the guy that's in charge and he's not a good person and he's a wicked person and he does not do right, uh, then hey, there's fear that would fall amongst all the people and they would be concerned because you don't know what he's going to do. There's really nothing holding him back, especially in those days when there was kings and there was nothing holding them back from issuing a decree. Like in Herod's day when those wise men didn't return. And he killed all the babies that were two years old and under. Could you imagine? There was a lot of mourning going on. And, and why? Why would he do that? He did that out of his own arrogance to protect his throne because he didn't want another king popping up in his area. And, uh, and you say, man, that's pretty wicked. That's what happened. That's why that verse is saying, hey, when the wicked rule, uh, then the people mourn because it causes all kinds of problems. And sin has a way of stealing joy. And when it comes down from a, a somebody that's up above and in charge, hey, there's just a way of stealing the joy of people that are, are ruled by that person. So the second part of that verse says, uh, when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. But the first part of it says this, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Righteousness is rewarding. Uh, thinking about Esther, I, I found this interesting because I, I actually found this verse first. Uh, Esther chapter 8 and verse number 15, uh, the Bible says this. 
You can flip over there if you're quick and want to get there. Uh, Esther is one of those books that kind of hides, and I can never find it when I need it. Esther chapter 8, verse 15, it's before Job. Job Psalms, so if you go to Job and go back, you'll find Esther. It's just a small book. Esther chapter number 8, and the Bible says this in verse number 15. Esther 8, 15, And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. What happened in, in the book of Esther? In the book of Esther, you started out with Haman trying to convince, and he did convince the king to write a decree to destroy all the Jewish people uh, that were living there. And what happened through the course of the entire book was eventually Haman's plan, or Haman uh, was, was actually killed and died, uh, and, and Mordecai was elevated to the place that Haman was. And when he was in charge, uh, they wrote a decree that all the Jews, because they couldn't reverse the other decree. So all the Jews were then allowed to defend themselves and to kill their enemies. And we find that, hey, Haman was a wicked man. There's no doubt about it. You go back and you read and you'll find out Haman was a, a man that was not a good person. He was a wicked person. And when he was second in command, really, to the king, uh, the people mourned and the problems, the people were perplexed, as we saw earlier. But when, when Mordecai is now elevated and he is second in command and he goes out, we find the Bible says that uh, the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. By the way, when you read that, that is the first time uh, in the book of, that's the second time, I'll, we'll go back and revisit the first time, but it's the second time that the word rejoice or glad shows up in the book of Esther. The first time it shows up, it was when, when Haman walks out and it was talking about Haman being glad. And he was glad because he had gone to dinner with, uh, with, with the king and with Esther. And uh, Esther wasn't brave enough to ask her favor of the king the first night. She said, so let me have you come back tomorrow night for dinner again. And, uh, and so Haman goes out and he was happy, the Bible says. He was glad until he saw Mordecai. Then he was angry and his countenance changed. But what I'm saying is, hey, in the book of Esther, the people didn't rejoice until there was a righteous person ruling over that, over that place, over Shuchan. And that was Mordecai. And he was elevated and put in a place where he was allowed to be uh, the second in command. And then the Bible says the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Prior to that, uh, the city was perplexed and, and unsure about what was going on. Uh, not just that, but there's other examples in the Bible. Go with me to... Um, well, you don't have to go there. Just mark it down. Second Kings chapter 11. We won't go there and read it for sake of time. But uh, the righteousness in charge causes joy. In, in Second Kings chapter 11, you should mark it down. You should go back and read it. It's a chapter you need to read. Adelai, uh, Athaliah, I don't know how you say her name. Uh, she was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And, uh, and through the course of time, you read 2 uh, Kings chapter number 11, she went through and she killed all the king's royal seed, every one of them. And then she became queen. 
But there was one guy that uh, one of the nurses had taken and hid him. He was of the, the king's royal seed. And the Bible says for seven years she reigned over Israel uh, or over Jerusalem or whatever the town was there. It was Jerusalem or Jerusalem. I think it was a divided kingdom at that time. But anyway, she was in charge for seven years and, uh, and she had reigned, but she was wicked in what she did. She slew all the king's, king's uh, seed, all the children uh, that were related to the king so that she could be the queen. And seven years later, the priest that had been guarding uh, this, this king's child brought out Joash. And the Bible says this in 2 Kings eleven fourteen. And when she looked, Behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manor was and the princes and the trumpets, trumpeters by the king and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets. In other words, what had happened is they brought this, uh, this king that had been in hiding the seed of the king out and they, they set him up and they set up guards all around him, the Bible says. And the priest said, hey, listen, at the time appointed, I want the trumpeters to blow and I want the people to announce, hey, this is the king, the legitimate king of this area. And so they did that. And when they did that, Athaliah saw that. And she wasn't happy about it. She had been in charge for seven years. She had been reigning over the nation, and there was no joy, and there was no, uh, matter of fact, there was uh, mourning, really, in Israel, because when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. But when Joash, uh, who the priest had been hiding, uh, finally allowed him to be king and brought him out, hey, then all the people rejoiced, the Bible says, and blew with trumpets. And the verse goes on, and it says, And Athaliah rent her clothes and cried, Treason, treason. She wasn't happy. Why? That was her death knoll right there. They took her out and killed her because she was not the queen. She was not in charge. She was not God's anointed person to be in charge of that place. And they took her out and slew her. And Joash was the king next in, in that place. And I'm just saying, hey, when the righteous rule, then there's rejoicing. We kind of look at that in our country, really. And listen, when, when, when there is somebody in the, in the, as the president of the United States that is pro-abortion and, and pro-this uh, and pro-all the things that go against the Word of God, hey, that's mourning. We're upset about that. Why are we? We're, we should be upset about that because, listen, that's not pleasing to God. And ultimately, God is not going to bless a country that is endorsing sin and promoting sin in the way that it's being promoted today. And I'm just saying, uh, the Bible's very clear. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. We see in verse number two the emotion generated by leadership. Listen, leadership will change people's emotion. It'll cause them to either mourn, it will cause them to be joyful. Uh, but, but if they're doing what is right and if they're standing for what is right, then uh, it will certainly cause joy in their hearts. We see the emotion generated. Look with me at verse number four. And we see the establishment that is created by a, a leader. The Bible says in verse number four, the king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. Let's take that first part. The Bible says the, the king by judgment establisheth the land. 
Now, what is judgment? The Bible says, or the dictionary rather, defines judgment uh, in Scripture, the spirit of wisdom and prudence enabling a person to discern right and wrong, good and evil. Now, most of us have had children, and they've been young, and we've raised them, and, and, uh, and we'll understand this. When, when you have children, it is so important to set boundaries and set guidelines and rules that they understand. And when they're really little, it's just basically no or yes. Okay, And if they get those two things down, which they can understand at a fairly young age, they don't have to even be able to talk to be able to understand no. My dog understands no. Um, and she's really not that bright. She's not. But I'm saying, uh, when they understand and when that's established, when you establish guidelines for your children and they know what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do, they know what is right and they know what is wrong uh, just by basic establishment of the boundaries that have been set, then they understand, oh, I can do this. And listen, uh, children really do thrive when there's boundaries set. When, when kids do not know where the line is, and today it's here, and you're not allowed to do this, and tomorrow it's a, you can do anything you want, they're really confused, and they don't know where their boundaries are, and they struggle to understand where the boundaries are, what is right and what is wrong, because, uh, listen, that leadership establishes that judgment. It establishes where the line is. So in a family setting, we certainly can understand that, having raised kids and having had kids, we can understand that. In a kingdom, it's not much different. Or any position of leadership uh, and authority, uh, what is the basis of right and wrong needs to be clearly established. And listen, if you stick to the Word of God, it's fairly simple. Because God is the one that is the authority. And God is the one, and you're, you're pointing to Him and saying, hey, you know what, what God has dictated is right, is right, and what God has dictated is wrong, is wrong. But when, when the ruler tries to take charge and say, hey, listen, I'm going to establish right and wrong, and we're going to change it, uh, we're not going to follow what God says, then, hey, it becomes a problem, and, uh, and you're not for sure where the lines are. And so uh, the Bible says here in verse number four, the king by judgment, that would be uh, setting boundaries of what is right and what is wrong. The king by judgment establisheth the land. In other words, he's able to set it up. And if he's a consistent uh, king who would follow or leader who would follow the righteousness that's written in the word of God, it's pretty easy to find those, those boundaries and say, you know what, we're going to operate within what God has commanded us. And that is what, what is right and that is what is wrong. And, and we find that once that's there, hey, justice is upheld. Um, where's some of the justice? Uh, listen, sometimes it, it, it's easier to see that it is established once those lines have been drawn. Uh, justice is upheld. Once rules are established, law and order become normal. And so we certainly see that. But look at ver the second part of that verse. He goes on and he says this, But he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. The second part of that verse, He that oh, receiveth gifts overthroweth it. What's that mean? Means we shouldn't give gifts for Christmas and birthdays? No, that's not what it's talking about. The gifts that it's talking about in this verse, uh, the Bible clarifies. Look with me back in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 23. I want you to see this verse. 
Proverbs 17 and 23. 1723, the Bible says, A wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. There's, a, there's an example of a gift that is perverting judgment. What does that mean? In other words, that somebody would go to the judge or somebody would go to the authority and they would say, Hey, listen, uh, I'm gonna, I'll give you money if you let this slide. And the moment that takes place, justice and judgment has been thrown out the window. In other words, oh, I'll take your money and I'll turn a blind eye. Listen, I lived in a corrupt country. I know what corruption is about. I'm talking corruption that like you've never really experienced probably in your lifetime here in America, where, where uh, in Peru it was just, it was corrupt. I mean, every, they, would, they, would, they did so many weird things because they were trying to prevent corruption. Almost every time uh, you would go to the pharmacy, you would go to the, uh, the pharmacist and they would tell you uh, that you weren't allowed to get anything off the shelves. You, you walked in there and, uh, and there was a little blockade and you told them what you needed and they would go back and the back and they would get it and they'd come back and and they wouldn't give it to you they would write it on a piece of paper and they say this is what I gave this person then they would give you that that piece of paper then they would pass that bag off to somebody else their job was simply to go get it in the back and then write it on a piece of paper and and give that paper to you you would take that paper down to the cashier give it to the cashier the cashier then would take that bag examine it make sure that what was written on the paper was really in the bag and then you would pay the cashier you say well that's kind of a crazy system why did they do that corruption because if, if I wanted to, if I developed a relationship with that store clerk, uh, I could just say, hey, can you give me this? And, you know, hey, I'll give you, you know, so much. You don't tell anybody. I won't tell anybody. That person pockets the money and you walk out with what you need for less than what it was worth. You say, is that? Yeah, that's what would happen. Seriously. That's the level of corruption that would take place. And what happens is uh, society completely becomes corrupted. And what I'm saying is uh, a kingdom cannot be established when there is corruption on that level. I cannot tell you how many times I was pulled over by the police officer and, uh, and, they, and they wanted money. And I had done nothing wrong, but they wanted money. Uh, and they would ask me in so many ways. They wouldn't tell me outright pay them, but uh, they'd say, hey, can you help me out with some gas money? Hey, can you help me out with some coffee money? Can you help me out with this or that? And, and I would just simply say, I'm sorry, sir, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. And, and when I said that, I, I started learning. I need to bring that up sooner. I would tell them, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a missionary. And they say, oh, 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 God be with you. Goodbye. Have a nice day. And they let me go. Because they knew what they were doing was wrong. Corruption. And what I'm saying is in this verse, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. If gifts, are, if, if bribes are paid, then, then justice and judgment goes out the window and there is no justice system and there is no righteousness in a nation. All of that is lost. And uh, we don't have time to go there, but, uh, but mark it down, 2 Kings chapter number 15 and verses 16 through 20. Uh, you can see that uh, a king was corrupt and started another, the, the Assyrians came to attack Israel. Israel and, and instead, of, uh, instead of standing up for him, he said, you know what, let me, let me pay you off. That's what he literally did. He took silver and paid off the Assyrian uh, king so that they wouldn't attack him and they left. And you know what that caused? Uh, the, the fact that, hey, they would come back and ask for more money. 
and more. And essentially, uh, the Israelites became slaves to them uh, because they had to continue paying uh, and justice was out the window. And so we see the establishment that is generated. Also look with me in, in Proverbs 29 in our chapter, verse number 12. We see the same idea in verse 12. If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. In other words, once he believes a lie, maybe he was paid off to believe a lie. Maybe for some other reason he would believe the lie. But nonetheless, uh, he would believe the lie. Listen, that permeates the entire society. And corruption uh, will run all the way through uh, to, to the lowest levels of all the people that work for the king. And we find that once that happens and the, the judgment and the justice has been thrown out the window, then there is no justice. And so as leaders, hey, we need to make sure that we deal justly and rightly. And on the coattails of that verse, we need to go to verse 14. Because this is important. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 14, The king that faithfully judgeth the poor, his throne shall be established forever. People are all different. And it's easier for a, a it's easier it's easier for people to treat people who are well off better than people who are poor. But the Bible says in this verse, the king that faithfully judgeth the poor. In other words, he's not hard on the poor, he's faithful and righteous in his judgment and decision making skills with people that are that are don't have as much money, those who are poor. One example of that I'll give, and then we'll look at one passage and we'll be done with this. But uh, one of uh, the very first judgment that King Solomon made, you go back to, I think it was 2 Kings chapter 3 or 1 Kings chapter 3. I can't remember. I didn't write it down. But uh, when you read that, you'll find that two women of ill repute, they were harlots, the Bible says, they came to Solomon. And both of them were claiming they had one child that was alive and one child that was dead. And they were claiming, hey, that's my child, the one that's alive. Both of them were saying the same thing. Now Solomon, as king, could have said, you guys are, you're low. Get out of here. I'm not dealing with you. Go see another judge. Go talk to somebody else. Solomon didn't do that. Solomon was faithful in his judgment. And he was also wise. Of course, we know that because he had just asked God for wisdom and God had granted him wisdom. And so he said, hey, uh, bring me a sword. And, uh, and I love the wisdom of Solomon here. He says, hey, uh, bring me a sword. And, and, and of course, uh, the one mom that was a real mom, she started getting a little bit worried, sweat beads beating up on her head. And he says, all right, take this live child and cut it in half and give both of them half a child. And the real mom said, no, 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 don't do that. That's my child. Let her have it. It'd be better off alive with her than dead. And Solomon knew, oh, that's her child. And righteousness was established because Solomon took the time with people that were not high up in his kingdom. These were base people. These were poor people. These were not even right people that were living right according to Scripture. But at the same time, Solomon took time to, to rule and deal well with them. Go with me to one passage really quick, James chapter number 2. And I want you to see this passage, and we'll read it, and I'll make very little comments because the Bible is so clear in this passage. We see that 
uh, emotion is generated in, in leadership, whether there's righteousness or wickedness, people will mourn or, or be joyful. We see the establishment of a kingdom by righteousness. When justice is upheld, then a kingdom is established. And in verse 14 of Proverbs 29, we see equality is generated when we, pe- when we treat people correctly and rightly uh, as, as, as people that should be respected. Look with me in James chapter 2 and verses 1 through 9. The Bible says this, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto a, your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect of him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do, they, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. I think he makes it very clear and very plain in those verses that, hey, we're to treat people with respect. We're to treat people with equality. And it doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter their status uh, of, of their bank account. It doesn't matter uh, whether they're, they're righteous or lost. People ought to be treated with respect. And, and I understand that after a while, some people lose their, their respect out of their own actions. I get that. But initially, hey, we ought to treat people as people. We ought to treat people as people that have a soul that need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that very clearly in, in Proverbs 29, 14. The king faithfully judgeth the poor. In other words, he would take time to consider even their cases that they would bring to him. His throne shall be established forever. In other words, you'll gain the respect of others. By doing that. And, uh, and just a few lessons on leadership. Listen, leadership can set the tone of emotion, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. They can establish a kingdom based on righteousness, or they can destroy it by, by not being right in their judgment and in their uh, decisions that they make. And then lastly, uh, they can set the tone for equality and making people feel welcome, making people feel right. Uh, or, or just respectable. Uh, I, I've told this several times, but we worked in Peru, and there was just a, a real divide, a, a class divide, between the, the rich were very rich and the poor were very poor. And oftentimes the rich people would treat the poor very poorly, to be honest with you. And so when we as Americans, when we went there, poor people just didn't, they wouldn't hardly look at us and they wouldn't hardly talk to us. Why? Because they just expected us to treat them like everyone else. 
did, and that would be poorly. And we didn't treat them like that. We would talk with them, and we would spend time with them, and we would try to get to know them. And, and it took a long time to break through some of those barriers because people uh, were just so accustomed to the way things were. But listen, when you treat people right, it's amazing how they'll respond. And it's amazing the difference that it will make in their life. Those two ladies in First Kings... I don't, the Bible doesn't give us any more history on it. It's really, it was really between, uh, it was really a story emphasizing the wisdom of Solomon and that God had given him great, great wisdom. But I can promise you this, at least one of those ladies looked at King Solomon a whole lot different. Maybe she walked in righteousness. I don't know. We don't know. But I can tell you this, her life was impacted in a phenomenal way because a king dealt rightly with a situation and he was careful about that so we ought to be careful of our leadership and uh, and just uh, the areas that we do have influence over people that we ought to treat people right and we can generate good emotion or bad emotion and uh, we can establish uh, leadership really uh, by righteousness versus uh, corruption and and playing favorites and favoritism and and accepting bribes and all of those things that go with that you could really fit that in to any situation that you find. Uh, but I'm just saying, hey, the Bible establishes righteousness and it establishes it with compassion. That's why I think that last verse is so important to tie in with that, with that group of verses. So I hope and pray that that's a help and a blessing to you tonight. So we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed of a word of prayer. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you for really the leadership and righteousness that God you give us in your